My name is Vida's Sister Prince. Today is Tuesday, April 26, 1994. I am interviewing Ruth Bettman for the Oral History Project Race and Memory in St. Louis. This is my independent study supported by the Missouri Historical Society. Ruth, you've been <coughs> active in the civic progress of St. Louis for a number of years, and you were Woman of Achievement in 1958, and that is for your work in the St. Louis community. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, some of your experience relate to my oral history project, which is Race and Memory in St. Louis, and it's a study of how race impacted on people's lives, their neighborhoods, their schools, their work, and their leisure. And I would like to talk with you about how you saw the city during the years of your involvement in it in terms of racial issues, and what were some of the activities that you were concerned with and the approximate years and decades when you were involved. Ruth, if you would tell me, tell me what, um, what were some of the committees that you served on? Uh, well, there have been a variety, but I guess probably one of the most interesting was when I was chairman of the Child Welfare Advisory Committee on, in the city of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And that was a group that had to do with the welfare distribution throughout the city, Pruitt, Igo, various different areas. And while there were certainly areas where they were white, those were pretty well segregated. They were segregated because the people being served were segregated in the offices. I don't think that, if I remember correctly, I don't think it necessarily meant that only black workers went in black areas and white workers in white areas. That I'm not sure about. It probably happened to a great extent because it was more effective that way. But uh, I, I saw a lot of what happened. And of course, among other things, there was a city welfare office in Pruitt, Igo. And as you know perfectly well, Pruitt, Igo was totally uh, black. Now, that didn't mean that there weren't white workers down there. We had our office down there. But uh, of course, that was one of the saddest situations. The very, the way that building was built, the very structure of it with no lobby, elevators only stopping at alternate floors, closed-in stairways, was just asking for trouble and crime. And there wasn't anything. And eventually, of course, as you know, it had to be destroyed because there was nothing. We tried to do something about playgrounds. We tried everything. There really wasn't a whole lot you could do. And that was probably one of the most tragic things that I saw. And uh, I guess maybe a lot of people thought I was sort of crazy to go down there. B. Edison and I used to go down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, ne we never had a bit of trouble at all, but it was an area where a lot of bad things were happening. There's no question about it. That was one aspect. Then as far as, far as the uh, privately funded United, what is now United Way, used to be Community Chest and originally War Chest and all the rest. That was for the private agencies. That was not the public agencies. And uh, I was on that at one time, but I was also very active on the Social Planning Council because that involved planning for uh, partial, for private and public, but principally uh, uh, providing information for the United Way as to how their funds should be distributed, and I think probably one of my most vivid memories was, I do not remember exactly what we were studying, 
but we always had from the universities, we had field work placements, mm -hmm. students who were in their graduate years who would work with us and get experience and would work would be partially, just the same as it is today, would count toward the degree that they were working for. And I wish I could remember the name of the woman, but she was simply wonderful and she was the first black graduate student at Washington University. She was a woman 60 years old and she had wanted uh, all her life to she had her undergraduate and wanted to take a graduate degree, but there wasn't any place that was open to her. She was there, and she was placed at the Social Planning Council with our committee. I don't really remember. Well, it had to do with, uh, uh, with the various agencies that were involved in family services and that kind of thing in the community uh, that were privately financed. but. Uh, when I say privately, I mean through the through community the chest. Uh, and so she came and, w and worked with us on our committee and was just a wonderful person. It was great, but I remember so vividly when we'd have our meetings frequently, we'd have lunch meetings and we'd meet one place or another downtown, nothing fancy necessarily. But when she came to work with us, there was not a place in downtown St. Louis where blacks and whites could sit down together and have lunch. One place, Scruggs, Scruggs Vanderbilt Barney's basement, and that was the only place we'd go. But after a while, we sort of, it was so delicate that we decided that we'd just bring our sandwiches and be in the, uh, but I have never forgotten that because it was, and she was just such a superior person and uh, understood the whole thing, yeah. but it was a vivid, memory, as you can tell. What, Ruth, uh, did everybody feel the same way on your committee? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I really think most of the people, uh, I suppose to differing degrees, but I really think most of the people who worked in the area of social planning, uh, I, I don't think the same thing was true necessarily of the fundraising, mm -hmm. but in the planning area, because in order to work in the planning area, you had to go out and see what was going on. And it would have been pretty hard to have people working in that area. I would guess there were more women than men. I, I, that's so long I've forgotten. <laughs> anyway. Well, I'm awfully glad to hear that story. It's important, and I think uh, maybe sometime it, <coughs> that name will come to me because <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever forget it. You told another story when we first were talking about this that had to do with uh, Thurgood Marshall coming to town. Well, I wish I could place that date, but that was Missouri Association for Social Welfare, and as they still do every year, they have a statewide conference. Sometimes it's in Kansas City, sometimes it's here, and uh, this was a year that it was here. I was not involved in the planning. I was just, uh, I guess, a neophyte, and I was, mm -hmm. it, this, this is a, does the same thing basically that it still does, uh, planning and working with the legislature and everything for legislation. Uh, for the welfare of the state, and uh, they had uh, they had their meetings in various different places, and they had invited Thurgood Marshall to be one of the principal speakers, and everybody was very excited about it. The only problem was it was a lunch meeting, mm -hmm. and again, there was no hotel, there was no place we could go and have lunch, and the meeting was held at Lindenwood College in the gym. 
to, uh, to so that he could he could be there. And I heard him, and I shall never forget it. And I wish I could place that date. You might find that if you mm -hmm. call someone at yes. the Missouri Association for Social Welfare. Um, how, how do you think St. Louis has changed besides the obvious things? Well, that's really a, a pretty, oh, I don't, there's no question about the fact that uh, the city has changed and there's been progress and we've seen a lot of things happen. But uh, I think some people have changed, but I'm afraid that I think there are a lot of people who haven't. You know, they accept things because that's the way they are and they have to accept them. They don't really feel any differently. I think it's tragic, but I don't know. I don't know what'll ever. I don't mean to sound so pessimistic because there've been tremendous changes and opportunities, but uh, I still run into a lot of the same sort of thing. You know, I just—I'll mention this is off. I don't want to jump around, That's but okay. speaking of downtown, and this I can place. Uh, what were the days? Let's see, the War on Poverty, that was Johnson. This was 60... 66, maybe, some seven, something like that. And uh, different communities, the mayors of different communities, and here it was then Mayor Tucker appointed a group of nine people who were the, human de the, the original board of the Human Development Corporation, which of course is still in existence. And there were blacks and whites, Frankie Freeman, Judge McMillian, uh, Ray Whitcoff was the chairman, and, uh, and you know, it was a really wonderful and group of Everything was fine. Yourself. Uh, yeah, I was on it. And uh, we we got word that Sergeant Shriver, who was the uh, head of this particular program for the president at the time, was coming to St. Louis, and we were going to have lunch with him, and everything was wonderful. But I'll never forget, Ray Whitcock called me up. He said, I don't know if I'm having more trouble with you or with the blacks. I can't find any place that'll take blacks and women. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't go to the Noonday Club because they wouldn't take women. I'm not so sure they would have taken blacks. But at any rate, and the hotels wouldn't take the blacks. blacks. Now, this is as late as that. This is the truth. So we finally met in a private dining room at the Old Lawyers Club at the Lennox Hotel. Rafe found somebody and he said, listen, I've got to find a place where we can have lunch. Well, that was where we met. Of course, I don't know whether he, I never did know if he told Sergeant Shriver or not. But that, that made a very big impression on me, both as a woman and for the blacks on our committee. It was a combination of things. I was as much trouble as they were. Yeah, it's, it's, we're laughing, but it's tragic. Of course, it's strange. It's amazing. Terrible. Um, but now, in something like that, there's real. I think there's real progress. I don't mm -hmm. believe. I don't believe there are places that exclude blacks anymore. I don't know. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm mm -hmm. sure there's some country clubs, but I'm talking about public places, hotels, that kind of thing. I don't think you'd find that. So you ask about progress. Sure, there's been progress. There's been a lot of progress. I think that uh, in the black community, some people say when you ask about that kind of thing, progress, um, that it's just more subtle today. That people they yeah. say they feel a certain way, but I'm as, you that's say, true. as you say, as you say, it's true. they really haven't changed. That they just go along with the outward. They have appearance. to. They don't have any choice. Right. Right. 
Well, all right, I appreciate um, your remembrances, and um, uh, you taught me a few things, <laughs> just even in a few words. And I can't go back. Well, originally, the uh, community was at the community chest first, I think it was, and then subsequently the war chest during the war years, and then uh, became the United Way. And, uh, and then I'm trying to think exactly when it was, but for a long time there was a separate organization called the Social Planning Council, which was the planning arm. Uh, it was funded by the United Way, by the community chest, to do planning for the agencies, and then it would submit all its reports and recommendations and everything to the United Way to their budget committees so that they could allocate funds based on the information that had been derived. But they didn't have the same setup that they have now. Now, in later years, under, with the United Way, they were combined. And for example, I was, I was chairman of services for the handicapped one year, and we did both functions. We did all the studies of the agencies in that group, the studies for the agencies, and then met and made recommendations for funding which then went to the Central Budget Committee, which was the overall committee that made the final decisions and recommendations to the uh, uh, overall board, which that was perfunctory. I mean, that was the answer. They had a certain amount of money, and it was allocated in that way. So basically, that's, that's a very that's brief study, but that was the way it worked. And I can't remember the exact year that they were combined, mm -hmm. but... Uh, well, it's a while ago. Um, remember what he said, except he was. This was before the school desegregation. Hmm? I don't know what that is. I'm listening. Oh, I, I just said it was before the school desegregation. Uh huh. And he was going. You know, he was just uh, working on all the things that he always worked on. I really don't. I can't. I wish I could say that I had a copy of the speech or that well, I not, no, not any of the specifics. But how, how was, you know, how did people treat him and how did they uh, respond to him? I mean, was that, was he a dynamic speaker? Oh, was yes. He was a dynamic speaker and, of course, everybody, anybody who traveled out there to hear him was just terribly excited about having someone like that here. He was mm -hmm. just an outstanding person, but yeah. I, I really, you know, it would be hard for me. Yeah, I, well, when, you know, as I listened to it and I thought, oh, why didn't I ask her? <laughs> you know, well, and, and I just didn't really know. not a lot more yeah. that I can add because, you know, from then on, he became, he was famous then, but he mm -hmm. became more and more so, more so. Okay. every step of the way, mm -hmm. and I can't reca recap really what mm -hmm what took place there and what took place subsequently. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, and uh, ha have, a have a good trip. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Good to see you. Thanks. This conversation was taped over the telephone, and it was in regard to Thurgood Marshall's uh, trip here, hoping that she had uh, some extra comments on, uh, on, uh, on Thurgood Marshall. Uh, was taped uh, over the phone for 29.94.